with our words, with our actions. As we wrap up this morning, this series on the life of King David, it has become very clear to us over the past weeks that David lived out a myriad of experiences, both successes and failures. He experienced the highest of triumphs and the lowest depths of failure and sin. He experienced the kindness of God and God's faithfulness. And there were times when he felt like God was far from him. David lived an extraordinary life. A life that we look at and we're able to glean many lessons. David was a man after God's own heart. And that was God's description of him, not his description of him. There are some aspects of David, David's life that we focused on. And after looking at several of the events in his life, I want to go back and review just a couple of the things that we saw and that we learned over the last number of weeks. First, we saw that David was chosen. Say chosen. He was chosen by Samuel, the great prophet, to be the king that succeeded Saul. Among seven brothers who were tall and handsome and higher in the family order, David was chosen. We see that he was chosen to be the king of the nation. We read in 2 Samuel 5, starting in verse 1, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led military on their campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David as king over Israel. You see, friends, David was chosen. Second, we saw that David was anointed. He was anointed. Anointing is the Old Testament sign of the presence, the power, and the purpose of God in one's life. We see three occasions of the anointing of God on David. And we see the results of the power of God in David's life in many passages, don't we? David was anointed. I want to remind you that anointing is never just for the purpose of making that person feel special. It is not just for the purpose of making that person feel good or feel proud of himself. Anointing is always for the purpose of God's mission. Anointing. Third, we learned that David was forgiven. David was forgiven. He had experienced God's grace 
and forgiveness as we saw in our study last week. He had committed a blatant and great sin against many people, but mostly against God. We see that he had been accused of these things by his friend, the prophet Nathan, and that he desperately begged for God's forgiveness. And our faithful, our loving, our unchanging God granted David grace and forgiveness. David was forgiving. And then the most striking and most important and most lasting thing, David was a man after God's own heart. He is the one who God has described after. God had promised David the first rightful king of Israel, and that his throne, listen, and that his throne would be established forever. David was not your average king. <laughs> Say that. David was not your average king. He was not your average king. Second Samuel 7 and verse 12 says, When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David was not your average king. This caused the people to long to see David's greater son, the one who would rule forever. In the Gospels, Jesus is called the son of David. You talk about legacy. David was not your average king. On a number of occasions in the Gospels, Jesus is called the son of David. Say that, son of David. Matthew calls Jesus the son of David in the very first sentence of his gospel. People called Jesus the son of David while he was ministering on the earth. We see six times in the gospel of Matthew that it records people calling Jesus the son of David. There were two blind men who needed healing who addressed him in this way. In Matthew 9, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men following him cried, Have mercy on us, son of David. After Jesus performed a miraculous healing, the crowd wondered if Jesus could be David's son. All the crowds were amazed, and they were saying, Matthew 12, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? David was not just your average king, my friend. The Canaanite woman who wanted her daughter healed used this title of Jesus in Matthew 15. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. 
In Jericho, two more blind men called out to Jesus. In Matthew 20, the two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus was called the son of David during his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the people cried out, the crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. David was not just your average king. In the temple in Jerusalem, in the place of God's presence, the people addressed Jesus as David's son. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, the chief priests became jealous and indignant. And what city was the baby Jesus born in? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Matthew 2. Surely, friends, we look at King David and we see and we sense and we anticipate the coming of the great king, the great king of kings, the great Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus. No wonder David is held in such high esteem among biblical characters. And therefore, it is a blessing to us in this day to be able to look at his writings, his psalms, and learn to give praise. Learn to give praise. We learn to give thanks to God. We learn to worship but friends, right in the account of the life of David, toward the end of David's life, toward the end of the book of 2 Samuel, in chapter 22, we get a glimpse of David with his pen in hand, putting down some of his thoughts. We see a real time, isn't that a good, isn't that a good contemporary term? We see a real time occasion of David with pen in hand as he looks back on his extraordinary life. And here's some of what he says recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 2. And David said, The Lord is my rock. My fortress and my deliverer, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. 
I want you to say David learned that. David learned that. David learned this. David learned this. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. And from violent people, you save me. He has saved me. Verse 4, I called to the Lord, who is worthy of praise. David learned this. David learned that his Lord was worthy of praise and had been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me and the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. And yet he called out to the Lord who is worthy of what? Who is worthy of praise. This passage in first in uh, Second Samuel chapter 22 is kind of the finality of what is written about David in Second Samuel. And it is him jotting down for us, listen, recording for us what he's learned in this extraordinary life. Anybody keeping a diary? Number one, in this passage, we see that when times are tough, God is our only true security. When times are tough, God is our only true security. You see, in David's deepest times of need, with enemies surrounding him, who did he cry out to? Who did he seek for help? Who did he put his trust in? It says he cried out to the Lord who is most worthy of praise. Praise. Praise is one of these precious words of worship. It is also a word of warfare. Praise. There's a lyric that I had grown to love in the early days of my life sung by Russ Taff and the Imperials. When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears Don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord for our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. You see, in praise there is power. David had discovered that in his life. Have you discovered the power in this word of worship? Have you discovered the power in praise in your life? Have have you discovered this attitude of the heart 
David certainly did. He discovered that in praise there is power. There's also a sense in this word praise. There is a, there, there is a, a meaning as part of this praise, uh, this praise vocabulary. There is a meaning that says, I am not dependent on me. I am dependent on God. When you praise God, you are saying, I am not relying on me. I'm not relying on my power. I'm not relying on my intellect. I'm not relying on my plans. I'm not relying on my friends. I'm relying on the Lord my God. David learned that. He learned that. Secondly, in this passage, in verse 29, we see that when days are dark, God is our only light. When days are dark, God is our only light. Verse 29 of 2 Samuel 22, You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. It reminded me of another psalm that David wrote in 27 of Psalms and 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When days are dark, God is our light. Darkness is a scary place. It's a lonely place. It's the place in the deep parts of the night. Your family is asleep. Your friends are at their place, snoring away. It's only you. And if the cares of your life are weighing heavy, in the deep darkness of the night, there you are at the loneliest place. Have you been there? There's no rest. There's no comfort. There's no help. There's no sleep in the deep darkness of the night. Friends, there are times when God is the only light. And that's just exactly where you will find him. You will find him to be faithful. You will find that he cares. You will find that he forgives. You will find that he loves you. He comforts you. Your loving God wants to be your light in your darkest hour. Reach out to him. The Lord is your light and your salvation in your loneliest moments. In your darkest night, yes. when it seems hopeless, Amen. He is your light. Reach out to Him. Thirdly, in this passage, when your walk is weak, God is your strength. Amen. When your walk is weak, God is 
is your strength. Look at verse 32 of our text. 2 Samuel 22, 32. <laughs> For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend the bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield. Your help has made me great. I love this one, verse 37. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. Have you fallen recently? When us older folks go to the doctor these days, the nurse who is prepping you to see the doc asks, are you a fall risk or have you fallen recently? I'll never forget the first time I was asked that in a doctor's office. I'm like, I know I'm aging, but, you know? Our daughter fell this week. She, she sprained her ankle. She limped around all week on a sprained ankle. A friend who I play music with uh, put up a handrail on the steps down to his basement after he had taken a tumble. He had gone to the doctor, and the doctor said, was there a railing on the stairs as he was wrapping up my friend's swollen ankle? Was there a railing on the stairs? When your walk is weak, he gives you strength. I submit, turn a corner with me for a moment. You're all laughing about seeing people tumble down the steps. I submit to you that there are occasions when our spiritual walk is weak. When your walk is weak. The passage says that when my feet are weak, God strengthens them like the swift feet of a deer. Listen. When your walk is weak, when your devotional life is dry, when it seems like your prayers are bouncing back from the ceiling, when the new song of praise is just not on your lips, I say to you, press into God. Pray some more. Meditate some more. Read some more. And friend, praise even more. When your walk is weak. David saw plenty of occasions in his life when he desperately needed the strength of God in his feet and not just his physical feet which we yes can seek God's help for but David needed the strength of God in his spiritual walk and you need every day the strength of God in your spiritual walk if your walk is weak God will be your strength come on
Fourthly, in this passage, when our future is foggy, unclear, in doubt, God is our only true hope. Verse 50, 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty. Therefore, say therefore. Don't we love that word? Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. Verse 51, he gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants. For how long? For how long, I said. When your plans aren't working out quite like you saw them working out, God is your hope. Sometimes, sometimes we just need him to be the hope of our future. We just got to look ahead. We just got to look out ahead. Somebody say unfailing. This verse 51 says he shows unfailing kindness. Jesus never fails. Somebody say forever. Jesus never fails. When, when our future is murky. You've been in any murky water lately? I remember as a kid... We would, we would occasionally go to, 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 to the river or to, or to some state park lake and, 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 we'd, and we'd get in the water. And if we're, at, if we're at a swimming pool, we get in the water and we look down and, and, and you can see yourself, see the rest of your body. You get in a murky body of water, you look down, all you see is the murk. Is murk a, is murk a noun? Rhonda. I don't know if murk is a noun, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. When you go under that water, you can't see nothing. You can't see your hand in front of your face because it's murky. When your future, friend, seems unclear, when your plans that you've made, when your when your good thoughts of how it's all going to work out don't look like they're going to work out anymore, God is your hope. Amen. And this says forever. Amen. You can look to the future with confidence because God is in your life. And it's not murky anymore. Your future is not filled with murk. Jesus never fails. And he won't let you down. He won't let you down. These are the things that David had learned. Pretty good life lessons. I want to remind you, looking back at what we studied last week, in the terrible, sinful failure in the life of David, 
that he was still a success in the eyes of God. I felt like this morning I needed to remind you of that. Because sometimes we feel like failures. Sometimes when we've, when we've failed, when we've sinned, even if we've asked God's forgiveness and we know that God, uh, according to his word, is faithful to forgive us, we still we still feel like we failed and it makes it hard to go on. I want to tell you that if God has forgiven you, if God has cleansed you, you can move on with confidence. You can move forward with confidence. Say, I'm moving forward. Which brings me to, we need to be people of worship. We need to be people that all that we are worships him. I want to remind us of what worship is all about. And I'll start out with how it's defined. Here are some thoughtful definitions on worship. The great preacher John Piper said worship is what we were created for. Somebody say amen. amen. This is the final end of all existence, the worship of God. God created the universe so that it would display the worth of his glory. And he created us so that we would see his glory and reflect it by knowing it and loving it with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Theologian William Temple says this, Worship is a submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of will to his purpose. There's a thinking man. I could have preached a message just on those couple of points. And the one other is a word that I've shared with you before from the, from the teacher and, and youth leader, Louis Giglio. Worship is our response. Say response. Both personal and corporate to God for who he is and what he has done expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. Good job, Louie. That's solid. That's solid. But I want to go back for just a second. Worship is our response not to people. Worship is our personal response, not here on the earth, to earthly entities. Worship is our corporate response, not to people. Don't you dare come in here and praise so that people see how spiritual you are. 
I hide here sometimes when. Don't you dare come in here and praise to look good. Come here to respond to who? To God. Say, I'm going to respond to God. For who He is and what He has done. And we're going to express it in what we say and what we sing and how we pray. We're going to express our response to God for who He is and what He's done. I finish. <clears throat> I finish this sermon in this series with Psalm 103. Hopefully, with very little comment. Our David, who we just summarized his life, wrote this song. Wrote this song. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are but dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field and the wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness is with their children's children. 
with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels. You mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Words of worship, my friend. As we studied over this last number of weeks, I found the life of David just fascinating in many ways. And, 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 and a life that, that we could look at and learn from. And the lessons that David learned in his life, hear me, the lessons that David learned through his life put him into a position and a place where he could sit down pen in hand and write our songbook. I think the Psalms are limitless in the inspiration that they can give to us. I think the Psalms are limitless in the knowledge that we can glean from them. And I think the Psalms are limitless in teaching us to give proper honor, glory, praise, and worship to the one who is worthy, our God. Amen. Let's stand.